Okay, let's see here. It is 17 April. It's Sunday. It's Resurrection Day. And uh, it's time for the CG report, the rapture, and then that is the CG report for the day. Okay, let's see here. We have um, something a little different we're going to do today. I'm not going to give any news reports, okay? I'm just going to give you an outline of the rapture. It's Resurrection Day. We have a uh, timeline of the events for our being taken to the Lord, and I thought I would lay that all out for you today. Before I do that, though, I want to congratulate Mitch and Winona Kaiko. They have had their 50th anniversary on the 15th. And in today's world, that is a very rare thing. So happy anniversary to them. They're up in Stoneboro, Pennsylvania. And uh, what a joy to know that they have stuck together for 50 years. Now, in my case, it's 38 years, but the sticking was by the wife. You know, if, if I'm surprised I'm still alive. So I'm very thankful for the <laughs> wife I have. Um, let's see here. We have something else that is, oh, you know what? Before I give you the something else, we have a visitor that has not been here before. She's Sarah Riley, and she's come all the way from California with a couple people that have been here before, and I want to welcome you for making the effort. So welcome to you, Sarah. And then I have something to let you know about, and it will maybe make some people unhappy. That's too bad. It'll make some people happy. I'm joyous. Okay, I will no longer do a midweek CG report. That's done. And the reason why is because uh, Sergio and myself have put together a website. And it is, you know, Drudge was a good report for many years, and then the guy went liberal. He just went bonkers. And so we now have thecgreport.com. If you type that in, thecgreport.com, it'll be updated twice a day, every day, with events concerning a conservative viewpoint on the world. So what I would hope you would do is bookmark that, go to it every day, read the news stories that are on there, and then also share that. If you get a new story on there, link that and say, hey, you know, uh, we want to get the word out on that, that we have uh, something that will be a lot better than what we used to have with Drudge. Okay, it's thecgreport.com. So mark that down, go to that website, read all you want. I started it on Friday, and we've just got all kinds of articles there, and I will continue to do that twice a day, every day, until the Lord calls me home or I'm in bed sick or something. But there you go with that. What's that? Uh, It will take no extra time as long as I get rid of the midweek report, which takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It's uh, it's just something that I had a choice to do one or the other. Sergio uh, has wanted me to do this for a long time. And so we sat down Friday. We developed a website. Actually, he did. And then he taught me how to use it. And there you go. So it's thecgreport.com. And it doesn't take any extra time because I'm already looking at articles twice a day, every day. So all I have to do is just put it in there, and that doesn't take two seconds. So there you go. Okay, um, let's see here. We'll do something, as I said, a little different today because it's Resurrection Sunday, and I thought I would give you a detailed analysis of the events leading up to, at, and after the rapture. The main verses that we're going to look at today are from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you might want to open it and go to those verses, and then we will be there in a while. 
Before I get to them, though, I got a few points to bring up to you. As I say, I'm first going to explain some misconceptions or misanalyses concerning the rapture. So if you read a rapture analysis and they have these, you might as well just stop reading them or turn it off because they're wrong. Okay? One, Jesus never spoke of the rapture, ever. As such, two, nothing in Matthew chapter 24 is referring to the rapture. I will defend this in a minute. Three, Jesus' words of the synoptic gospels prior to the resurrection were spoken to who? To Israel, the Jewish nation, under the law and in anticipation of the millennial reign. Nothing he says is to the church in those synoptic gospels. Hence, the words, but of that day and hour, no one knows, are not speaking of the rapture. Five, as such, any rapture commentary that brings in the three synoptic gospels is already wrong. You can and you should ignore that commentary and go watch or read something else. This is because, one, the rapture is what is known as a mystery. Two, the rapture, the mystery, was revealed by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, as this is so. Then it had never been revealed before. Everybody get that? That was about 30 years after Christ's ascension. Three, being a mystery revealed, it is no longer a mystery. Four, Paul revealed it. He explains it, and he gives the timeline for it. There is no need to go anywhere else to determine the timeline, even if it is referred to somewhere else. Five, the actual dating of end times events, such as the rapture, is not given, nor can it be deduced. This can be determined from Acts 1 verse 7 and 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1. Therefore, anyone predicting the day of the rapture is doing it in defiance of Scripture, actually in defiance of the words of Jesus. And what he is claiming is, by default, false. As such, you can ignore what is said and go watch or read something else. Now, I'll give you some preliminary evidence of what is coming. How long is the peace deal with Israel set to be? Seven years. That is explicitly stated in Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. Israel was given 70 periods of seven years, 69 have been fulfilled, and one more is yet ahead. Who is it that confirms this covenant with Israel? The Antichrist. He is known there in Daniel 9 as the prince who is to come. He is the same person who will bring an end, this is Daniel's words, an end to sacrifice and offering. As Daniel says, at the midpoint, meaning the middle of the week, and that is all clear and it is all explicit. He says in Daniel 9.27, then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice an offering. Okay, so the seven-year covenant is confirmed by the Antichrist, but that won't happen until after what? After the restrainer is removed, which means the rapture. This will be carefully detailed as we go on, so pay attention. If you want a copy of these notes, just let me know and I'll email them to you. A note before preceding. Nothing of Revelation 4, verse 2 until Revelation 19, verse 10, refers to the church. Nothing. 
The words are directed to Israel as they parallel Jesus' words in the Synoptic Gospel prophecies, looking to justify a mid or a post-tribulation rapture from there does not work because the words are not written about or to the church. Actually, they're written to the church, but they're not written about the church. You have now mixed dispensations. As such, any rapture commentary that brings in those verses is wrong. You can ignore what is said and go watch or read something else. As for the rapture itself, Paul, who introduced the mystery and who explains it to us, begins his words concerning it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it speaks of the resurrection, also detailing the rapture, explaining what will happen to the body we have and what will come next and why. In verses 20 through 23 of 1 Corinthians 15, he speaks of the resurrection. In verses 35 through 49, he speaks of the type of body that we'll have. And in verses 50 through 53, how that event will occur. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. This is something that had never been revealed before. Therefore, nothing said by Jesus is referring to the rapture. We can deduce that just simply by reading Paul's words. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Next, Paul gives the order of rapture events in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. He says there, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3, he notes the times and the seasons, repeating them from Jesus' words of Acts 1, 6, and 7. Here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. We're not going to know the actual date of these events. He's given us the outline. That's all he will give us. Jesus, if we were to go back to Acts 1-7, and yes, 1-7 and probably 1-8, he speaks about that. You know, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to us at this time? And he says, it is not for you to know these things. He's telling us. You're not to be speculating on it. There will be an outline given, but you are not to speculate on the actual date of the rapture. If anybody does that, don't click on the video. That's clickbait. He's just making stuff up out of his head. Don't listen to it. All right. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, and 5, he says that we, meaning the church, are not in darkness. We are sons of the light. This is an obvious pre-tribulation inference. Excuse me. If the day of the Lord meaning the tribulation is darkness, and we are sons of light, then we are not to be found in darkness. It speaks directly to a pre-tribulation rapture. He says there, but you brethren are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. After this, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10 refers to the tribulation coming upon the world. 
And then after that, 2 Thessalonians 2 gives the timeline for what will occur as I will now lay out for you. Okay, we're going to go verse by verse, and I'm going to give you a commentary on each verse. Verse 2-1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you. This is an issue which he had already addressed in his first letter to those at Thessalonica, especially in chapter 4 of it. Therefore, his words are to be taken along with that and what he said there. Okay, so you have the verses there, which we've already gone through, and he is now supplementing that because they didn't pay attention the first time. Therefore, his words are to be taken along with that and what he said there. Without getting too far ahead, it is evident from his coming words that people were making false claims about the events of 1 Thessalonians 4. And these statements were troubling the fellowship. Paul wants them, and thus us, because that letter is in the Bible, to know the proper sequence of events that will occur in and around the Lord's coming, and, as he said, our gathering together to him. The word Paul uses, translated as gathering, is found only here and in Hebrews 10, verse 25, where it is in regard to Christians assembling together for worship and instruction. In this case, it must be referring to all who are in Christ— both the dead and the living. The words of 1 Thessalonians 4 are being further explained. Therefore, it is certainly referring to the time of the rapture at the Lord's coming for his church. Verse 2-2, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. First, he says that those in Thessalonica are not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. This is based on what he said in verse 1 about the rapture. He is asking them to be sound in their doctrine, and thus they will not be led astray in their minds. Their hope will remain steadfast, and their faith will not be weakened. He then says that this should be the case if presented with a false claim, as he says, either by spirit or by word or by letter. The reason why it is false lies yet ahead in Paul's words. But if a claim is made which contradicts the word of the Lord, then it is, by default, false. Such a claim could be by spirit. This would be a supposed prophetic utterance by someone in a Christian setting. It would be a claim to divine revelation. Today we have the word of God. We do not need, nor will we receive, such a word of prophetic utterance concerning the rapture. Any claim of such a prophecy is to be rejected, and the supposed recipient is to be disregarded as a lunatic. Next, Paul says, by word or by letter. If a supposed letter or writing is received which contradicts what Paul will say, then it should be tossed into the garbage can. It should be soaked with gas, and it should be lit on fire. But be careful to not burn down your house in the process, because we all know that gas is very volatile. Yes, it's expensive now, too. With this thought of the importance of what he will now say out of the way, he finishes the verse with, as though the day of Christ had come. The focus here is on the day of Christ. This is the main thought of Paul's words in this section. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him is being set in relation to the day of Christ, not the other way around. If one does not properly follow this thought, then there will be confusion in end times theology. When is the rapture? When is the Antichrist revealed? These things have to be taken in connection with what is now said by Paul. 
Otherwise, incorrect analysis of the timing of these events is inevitable. This is why Paul has specifically started with the rapture and then set it in relation to the day of Christ. What is the day of Christ then? It needs to be understood that various manuscripts say either the day of the Lord or the day of Christ. They both have the exact same meaning though. Christ is the Lord. Thank you. This is speaking of the seven years of tribulation which are coming upon the world, which we already detailed from Daniel 9. Okay, it is not merely the last three and a half years of this period. These seven years are what are spoken of in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. The details of these seven years are given in numerous places in the Old Testament, and they are described in greater detail in Revelation 4, verse 2 through 19, verse 10. This is what Paul is referring to now. Verse 2, 3, let no one deceive you by any means, For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. The opening clause of this verse, let no one deceive you by any means, is based on what was said in the previous verse. They were not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. At that early day in church history, there were deceivers who were making crazy stuff up out of their own heads and passing it off as prophecies concerning the Lord. Paul is showing those at Thessalonica, and thus us, because this is in the Bible, that only the instruction of the true apostles were to be regarded as authoritative. Do we have any apostles of Jesus Christ in the world today? No. No. Jesus Christ must commission an apostle if he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now that the apostolic age is over, our only source for divine revelation is the word of God. Any supposed word from the Lord or any supposed divine instruction apart from the Bible is to be wholly rejected. Paul's next words have a thought inserted in them by the translators. His words say, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The Greek actually reads, because if not, shall have come the apostasy. However, the words which were inserted by the translators, which is, that day will not come, are rightly supplied. It is not speaking of the rapture of verse 1, but of the day of Christ, or the day of the Lord, of verse 2. The day of Christ, meaning the tribulation period, will not come unless the falling away comes first. It has become common to teach that this word, apostasia in the Greek, or falling away, is actually speaking about the rapture because the word signifies to leave or to depart. However, this is an unnecessary stretch of the intent of his words. The word is used only elsewhere in Acts 21, verse 21, when speaking of forsaking Moses, meaning the law of Moses. The departure is one of purposeful turning away from set doctrine, not from the world. But people want to say that apostasia is speaking of the rapture because then they can say, see, that proves a pre-tribulation rapture. That is not sound theology. There will be a falling away from the true faith of Christ before the day of Christ comes upon the world. What is implied here is that the true church will be gone by then, but that will be explained in verse 7. It is not explained by the word apostasia of this verse. Along with this thought, Paul finishes the verse with, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Here he speaks of the man of sin. The term is unique in the New Testament. 
it is applied to a specific person who will be a man of lawlessness, as the word anomia implies, no law. The word signifies the utter disregard for God's law, his written and living word. Paul further describes him as the son of perdition. This is a term used only one other time in the Bible in John 17 verse 12 when it's speaking of Judas who betrayed Jesus. Judas, in essence, fell away from the truth of the apostolic office, which otherwise could have been his. He chose the evil path, and he was essentially born to be destroyed. Like Judas, this person will be set on a course that can only lead to ruin. The word Paul uses, which is translated as revealed, is apocalypto. It will be as if a covering is pulled away, and this person, bent on disregarding God's law, will be unveiled. He then is a counterfeit to Christ, and thus he is known to us as the Antichrist. What we have so far is the understanding that one, the day of Christ, meaning the day of the Lord, will not actually commence until after the Antichrist is revealed. That's explicit right there in Scripture. However, two, he will not be revealed until after the rapture, as is implied in this verse, but which will be made explicit in verse 7. And so thus far, we see the sequence of events. One, rapture of the church. Two, falling away and the revealing of the Antichrist. And three, the day of Christ, meaning the day of the Lord. Verse 2, 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The words which begin this verse are actually in the present tense. Rightly translated, it says, the one opposing and exalting himself. If taken substantially, it would read, the opposer and exalter of himself. It clearly refers to the Antichrist. The words are reflective of Satan himself, but are being applied to a man, and so it is one who is wholly in league with the goals and intents of Satan. It is this man of lawlessness who places himself above, as Paul says, all that is called God or is worshipped. In this phrase, it is understood that the Antichrist will place himself above the true God as well as all other false gods. Total allegiance to him will be required. In essence, he will be believed to be the fulfillment of whatever hope is laid out in any religion. For those who say they are Christians, he will appear to be their Christ. For the Jews, he will appear to be their Messiah. For the Muslims, he will appear to be their Mahdi, and so on. But he will even exalt himself above God or gods that he claims that he is from, demanding worship of himself only. There are things that are not gods, which receive worship or adoration, but he will exalt himself above any such thing. This self-exaltation will be seen in a demand for total allegiance above power, money, or even life itself. This will be fully seen and realized on the day that, as Paul says, he sits as God in the temple of God. These words for countless years of the church age have been taken to mean something other than a Jewish temple. The temple was destroyed, and there seemed no chance of one ever being rebuilt. Some have taken this to mean the Vatican, where the Pope sits. Others argue that it is referring to the Christian church in general. Charles Ellicott, great scholar, but he was before the time of Israel being regathered, 
He took it to mean a poetical or prophetical description of usurping divine prerogatives generally. These and other analyses were based on a misunderstanding that the church had somehow replaced Israel or that there would never be a temple of God in Jerusalem again. However, it is understood from the dispensational model that the Jews do have another temple coming. We already went through that in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And that is now possible with Israel back in their land. The temple implements are ready, and the temple itself will be built. This is actually in accord with Revelation 11:1, where John was told to measure the temple of God. One doesn't measure a universal church or a poetical, prophetical description. And the Vatican doesn't sit in Jerusalem. Paul's words, combined with those of Daniel and John, clearly indicate a rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem. It is in this temple that the Antichrist will sit as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. To sit in the temple where only God is allowed to reside is to claim the authority and personage of God. No person is said to sit in the temple. There are duties to be conducted, and then the priests depart. No such furniture exists for the priests to sit down on. Only in the Holy of Holies of the temple itself was there a place of rest. The high priest would enter behind that veil once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people, but other than that, there was no sitting of any kind involved in the temple. You can go see Hebrews 10, verse 12, and Hebrews 12, verse 2 to understand that. The Antichrist, claiming that he is God, will be his justification that he is entitled to sit there. As it is known that Jesus is God incarnate and the Christ, then this guy is the Antichrist. He will make a false claim against the true God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 2-5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. Here Paul takes time to upbraid the church at Thessalonica, and he does it in the form of a question. Further, in a change unique to this verse alone, he switches from the third person to the first person. Whereas he has been saying we to include those with him, he now departs from that in his zeal to correct his audience and says, I. He begins with, do you not remember? It is a way of saying you obviously did not pay attention. Jesus used this same type of questioning in order to rebuke the disciples. Paul has done it elsewhere as well, such as in his letter to the Romans and to those at Corinth. Now, having chided them for not having remembered and for instead having become shaken by someone's introduction of false doctrine, see verse 2, he goes on to say that when I was still with you. As noted, he speaks here in the first person. I personally was there, and I personally instructed you on this matter. Paul's frustration is obvious. He wanted soundness of mind for his beloved brethren, but they had instead been disturbed in their thinking because of the introduction of incorrect information. To finish the verse, he says, I told you these things. The word translated as told in the Greek is in the imperfect tense. In other words, I told you and I repeatedly told you these things. The use of the imperfect when read by the church would be an embarrassing moment for them. Paul had spoken of the end times events as a core part of his doctrine. And one of the things he told them was that it would probably be a long time before the Lord returned. Further, 
before the day of Christ came, certain things would precede it. If they had paid attention, they would not now be unsettled. There are things that people hear and of which they should pay close attention, but they instead take brain naps while the instructor is imparting his wisdom to them. In this, they're only harming themselves. Verse 2, 6, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Paul continues his thoughts on the revealing of the Antichrist. He said that the Antichrist would not be revealed until after the rapture of the church. This is implied in the previous verses, but it will be implied again in the coming verses, more explicitly in verse 7. Only then will the Antichrist be revealed, and the world enters the day of Christ, meaning the day of the Lord. But something is restraining that from occurring, something they have already been told about. This is reminded to them with the words, and now you know what is restraining. The words, and now, are not speaking of anything he has said in this letter so far. Instead of being in a temporal sense, the word now is being used in an introductory sense. They are being asked to call to memory what had already been told to them. The reason for explaining it this way is because the church had been fooled. They had been misdirected by false information claiming that the day of Christ, meaning the day of the Lord, had come. The reminder now is that the revealing of the Antichrist is actually purposely hindered, and it would continue to be so until the right time arrived. The words, what is restraining, are insufficient here. There is a definite article in front of the word restraining in the Greek. This is not a mere doctrine that they are aware of, but rather of a specific and familiar object. It should say, that which is restraining. A known entity is restraining the coming of Antichrist, and the time for that entity to cease restraining will come as planned by God. And so there was absolutely no reason for those in Thessalonica, and thus us, because the letter is in the Bible, to speculate about having entered into the tribulation period. I was in Israel in 2003, and I was with a person there that was adamantly fixed on the fact that we are in the tribulation period back in 2003. That didn't pan out so well. The truth holds for us even to this day. And yet, how many have claimed that the day of Christ, meaning the day of the Lord, has actually arrived? How many speculations about the tribulation period have been laid out in chart upon chart? But there is one restraining, and that will continue to be the case so that he, Paul's words, may be revealed in his own time. The he is speaking of the Antichrist. What is restraining the revealing of the Antichrist is not specifically mentioned, but it can be readily inferred based on several things in the verses to come. But suffice it to say that, one, the Antichrist is one who stands in opposition to Jesus. If this must be restrained for even 2,000 years now, it shows that even though Antichrist is a person, there is more involved. He is a person who will be specifically filled by Satan. And two, if this could be at any given time, then there is a set time, known even 2,000 years ago, when this would come about. What could restrain Satan from so filling whatever person he chose for that long? Stay tuned. The words that he might be revealed in his own time, that's Paul's words, have the meaning of with a view to. What this means is that God's purposes will come about because the power of Antichrist will stop being restrained when he sees fit. 
just as God ordained Israel to be exiled to Babylon for 70 years, and then that exile ended as prophesied, and then just as the same is true with the ending of their second exile at a pre-prophesied moment to effect his purposes, the ending of the restraint of the power which will be given to the Antichrist is intended to meet God's purposes for judgment on the unrepentant world. That doesn't include us. We have come to Christ. The word translated as time indicates a set and purposeful time. It is a particular season. Just as Christ Jesus was said to have come in the fullness of time set by God, so Antichrist will come at a particular season to fulfill God's purposes. Verse 2-7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The word for is given based on the words of the previous verse. Paul said something was restraining the Antichrist. This was, as Paul says, that he may be revealed in his own time. From this, Paul continues with, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. A mystery is something not yet revealed. There is a lawlessness that is working, and it has been working for 2,000 or more years now, and yet it is not yet fully revealed. It has been slowly working out a plan. In the Greek, there is an article in front of both mystery and lawlessness. It reads, for the mystery of the lawlessness. The state of lawlessness, which is still not fully revealed, is already at work, Paul says. The idea of the work is that of an inward action, as if yeast causing bread to swell. It is an infection. It is not a personal thing. It is a state of lawlessness which is working and which will eventually be revealed. This mystery is then sharply contrasted with the word revealed, which is found in verses 6 and 8. There is a time when lawlessness will come forth to affect its purposes on the earth. It will be when the Antichrist is revealed because he will then embody this lawlessness. This working of lawlessness, however, is kept in check until the appropriate time. At some point, the restraining force of verse 6 will no longer restrain. As it says, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Here, the words, will do so, are supplied by the translators for clarity. The use of the masculine word, he, is based upon the masculine singular article in the Greek. In verse 6, the restraining force was described with a neuter article, that which restrains. That is converted now to a masculine noun. The question is, who is he? The New King James Version capitalizes the word. This is a presupposition that this is speaking of the Holy Spirit. Others translate this as the one with a small O, he, not capitalized, that which, the person, and so on. Each translation is based on a best guess of the nature of this restrainer. But Paul uses the masculine here for a reason. And so it is not appropriate to continue to translate it in the neuter. Further, this cannot be a person in the regular sense. The restraining has gone on for millennia. It is not something also belonging to the lawlessness. To be restrained is an external force, not an internal force. Therefore, the New King James Version is correct. God is restraining. However, and more specifically, it is the restraining power of the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. One analysis is that the restrainer is the church itself, but 
as the word is masculine, it is more appropriately the one who is intimately identified with the church. The Holy Spirit is given to all who believe in Christ. That is recorded in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. As this is so, the church is involved in the restraining process, but it is the Holy Spirit who is the one who actively restrains the lawlessness. And he will do so until he is taken out of the way. What this means is that there is a time when the Holy Spirit's restraining influence will no longer be effected. A releasing of the restraint will come about, and only then will the lawless one be revealed. What is certain then is that if the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, the church too must be taken out of the way. If the effect of the Holy Spirit is to end, and the church were to remain, then the guarantee which is spoken of in Ephesians 1 would not be a sound guarantee. We would be left abandoned. This is completely contrary to the nature of God and his word. Thus, this taking out of the way of the Holy Spirit is simultaneous with the taking away of the church at the rapture. Both occur, and only then will the mystery of lawlessness, and thus the Antichrist, be revealed. This is explicitly stated next, verse 2, 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And then, in Greek, it is ketote. It is correctly translated, and then. So here we have a clear sequence of events. One, the restrainer meaning the Holy Spirit, and thus the body of believers whom the Holy Spirit is sealed will be taken out of the way, Paul's words. Two, and then the lawless one will be revealed, which will be in conjunction with, three, the tribulation period, the day of Christ, the Lord. The timeline is set. There is no reason at all to debate who the Antichrist is. And there is no need to wonder if Christians will have to endure some, meaning mid, or all, meaning post, of the tribulation period. Paul is the one to define these things. Going to the words of Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels to determine the timing of these events is inappropriate because Jesus is not speaking to the church about these things. He is speaking to Israel about things that will affect them, including the tribulation period. In using the words of the Gospels to form a prophetic timeline for the church, one mixes dispensations. In doing so, a convoluted theology will always, not maybe, it will always result. We are to stick to the epistles for proper church age doctrine, and it is Paul who reveals, speaks of, and provides the timing for the rapture. Not the day, the timing for, the sequence of events. It is only after the removal of the restrainer that the lawless one will be revealed. It is this Satan-filled person whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. Praise God for that. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12, he will give details about the time after the rapture and what it will be like for those left behind. You don't want to be here for that. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 12 sums up Paul's thoughts concerning the rapture date setters who fritter away their time instead of remaining productive people of God. Verse 10 is how they should be treated. He says there, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. People sitting around, twittering their thumbs, doing nothing, 
productive for Jesus Christ are instead on rapture boards all day long. I got $7.77 back at 7-Eleven today when I bought my Bahama Mama. It must be a sign that the rapture is going to happen tomorrow. That is insane. That is insane. Don't fritter away your time. You have a job to do, which is tell people about Jesus Christ. Stop being insane and pay attention to what God is telling us. We will not know who the Antichrist is. We will not be here when he is revealed. And he is revealed before he signs the seven-year peace deal. Pre-tribulation rapture. Stop trying to predict the rapture. We have the timeline of the events, and that is all we are going to receive until the moment that it happens. In summary, not a single word of the three synoptic gospels is spoken to the church about the rapture. Matthew 24, 36 is spoken to Israel while under the law. It has nothing to do with the rapture. The rapture was a mystery revealed now by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. This was the first time it was ever directly and explicitly addressed in human history. That was about 30 years after Christ's ascension. Revelation 1 through 3 are addressed to the church. Revelation 4.1 is a picture of the rapture. The church is not mentioned at all from 4.2 until 1910. In 1911 is the return of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19.14 notes that we are there with him in that return. Yes, pictures of a pre-tribulation rapture are carefully recorded in the Old Testament. If you have not seen that sermon where I record some of them, you can email me and I'll send you the link to those Old Testament pictures of the rapture. And finally, the rapture is something that will only happen to those who are in Jesus Christ. If you have not called on Jesus, you will not be going. Call on Jesus. I have something to show you. Let me get this. This book, I'm sorry, this box here says evidence. We have the evidence for the proof that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. We have absolute proof of it. And because he did, we have absolute proof that this word is true and the rapture will happen. This is the evidence that we have. It's called the Holy Bible. Please read this book. Take it in its proper context and understand that we will not be here for any of the tribulation period. Jesus Christ is going to take the people out of the world that he has redeemed. He will not forsake us. Such is the world in which we live. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett, and that is your CG report for the week.